Welcome to Tribes Podcast. Thank you for making this message a part of your week. If you're ever in Jackson Hole, we would love for you to visit our tribe family. We meet on Sundays at 5.30 at the Snow King Conference Center. And if you'd like to know more about us, you can find us online or on Facebook by searching tribejh.com. If you have a Bible with you tonight, would you turn to the book of Zechariah? Zechariah can be a little tough one to find. It's in the Old Testament. But if you're waiting for that page to load, you know, your Bible app knows right where the book of Zechariah is. We're going to start by looking at a passage in the Old Testament in Zechariah. And while you're turning there, Amanda mentioned this. I'll probably mention it a few times tonight. There's a gray Connect card that's in your seat. Take a look at that card and uh, fill out any information that you'd like us to know. We talk to y'all all the time from the stage but I want this to be a relationship. And the, order, the only way for this to be a relationship is if there's two-way communication. We're communicating to you all the time. That gray connect card is one way that you can communicate back to us in this relationship. If you want to fill out your mailing address, great. Um, if there's anything that we can pray for you for, you can put a prayer request on there. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, great connect card. If you got it, say, I got it. All right. Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. This passage uh, might be new to some of you. To others, you may have heard this before. But I'm going to read just one verse, chapter 4, verse 10, and then we're going to get after it. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10 says this. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Now that's a mouthful, Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Bless you. Zerubbabel. <laughs> Preacher joke is maybe, maybe not that good. I'll Take it out for the next time that name comes around. Mm. Either that or y'all laugh harder, one of the two. Zerubbabel. Let me give you a little bit of context for, for what's happening in this passage so that it makes sense. So there was, a, there was a group of Israelites that had been carted off to captivity. And this guy, Zerubbabel, spoke to the king and said, hey, we would like to permission to come back to our homeland in Jerusalem and Israel and be able to rebuild the temple. Our place where we worship God has fallen into disrepair and, and nobody lives there and we'd like to come back and rebuild the temple. The king says, yes, have at it. Here is a letter uh, giving you all of the permissions that you need. You can get all the supplies and building materials that you need. Go back and, and get after it. And the work was being carried out by this guy named Zerubbabel. Imagine putting that like on the back of your jersey, Zerubbabel. And so Zerubbabel, he is, you're, you're quiet. What's going on? Are you guys all right? Everybody okay tonight? Is it just the jokes? Okay. 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 <laughs> Write his name down. So Zerubbabel comes back. And he's really, he, he inspires and he's motivating the people to, to rebuild the temple. And there were these prophets that would come along. Zechariah is one of them. And he would encourage, 
He would, he would be excited for, for the people that were doing the work. And he was, he was kind of like, uh, imagine like, you know, like a cheerleader on, on the sidelines with the pom-poms and the megaphone. Like, come on, you guys can do this. Stay with it. God is with you. He is for you and not against you. And the, the prophet Zechariah wrote down a lot of the, the messages that God gave him to share with the people. And this is one of them. Do not despise these small beginnings. How many of you, and I'm not talking about like picked out the tile in the carpet that you really want in a house, but like you really built like nail bags on your hips. How many of you have built your own house? All right, all right. Okay, how many of you like built a, a tree fort? We kind of scale it back. Okay, how about a living room couch cushion fort? Anybody? Okay, now, now we got some common ground here. So it's hard work building a house. Lisa and I have, have built two uh, with, with our own hands. And, and there are so many days and there are so many weeks that we would go out to the job site and we would work and we would work and we would work and we would work and we would come home exhausted and tired only to get up the next morning, come back to the job site and we're like, it seems like this house hasn't changed at all in weeks. Like, what is going on? And that's how the nation of Israel felt. As they were being faithful and as they were stepping out to do what God called them to do, there were many days where it felt like nothing was being accomplished. That's why we have the word of Zechariah here, where God says, don't despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. To see the plumb line, which is a, a, a construction tool, a tool in construction, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. If you are taking notes tonight, at the top of your notes, I want you to write the title of tonight's message. The title of tonight's message is this, putting your yes on the table. Everybody say yes. yes. Putting your yes on the table. And this is the, the first week of a three-week series that Amanda mentioned where we're going to be talking about uh, the, the book that has come out today called Strong to the Finish, Your Guide to Becoming a Dangerous Person. I think in life, a lot of people that like to play it safe, and there's nothing wrong with following the rules. I get in trouble all the time for like bending and breaking the rules all the time. I'm the guy that at like the national, I'm just, time to be honest, at like the national parks, you know, where they have like the panel of pictographs in like, you know, down in the Canyonlands. Uh, and I'm the guy like, what this, when I did this hike 20 years ago, there was no chain here. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Last time I got to like sit up on the shelf and look at, I'm not going to touch them, but I'm going to take some pictures. Look at these amazing pictographs. And I'm like, <whistles> and then no sooner did my foot step over the little chain that you're not supposed to go in the middle of the desert nowhere. Then I hear this big, big booming voice. Excuse me, sir. I got busted by those dang old park rangers. Love you guys. That's a different, that's a different sermon for, for a different time. But so many people play it safe in life. God is looking for a generation of young men and women, regardless of your age, who are willing to live even just a little bit dangerous. For some of you, your personality, that thrills and excites you. For others of your personality, you're like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. God is looking for somebody 
that is willing to not play it safe. And, and tonight we're going to look at three different people who put their yes on the table to God. And the life and the adventure that he called them to was far from anything but safe. Uh, but back to, this, back to this passage, Zechariah. A couple of words that we need to look at so that we can better understand the fullness and richness of what's in this one verse. That first word, you can underline it in your Bible or put it out on your notes, that word to despise. That's a pretty interesting word. Every word, if you don't know this about this book, every word has been carefully chosen and put in this book for a reason. So when you read these words, do not despise. The author wasn't just thinking, mm, I need something clever, something catchy. It's in there for a reason. So when he says, do not despise, well, what does that word even mean in the Hebrew? The word despise in Hebrew means to hold in contempt, to show despise towards. And here's what it means. Do not despise these small beginnings. Don't scoff, don't mock, don't laugh. Don't treat them as if, it, as if it's common. And look at this other word, the small beginnings. That word small in the Hebrew means young, small, or seemingly unimportant. There's so much information that comes at us every day with work and social media and things that we have to do on our list. We don't have time to sit and carefully look at every piece of information that's bombarding our senses, what we have to do is quickly be able to sort out what's important and what's unimportant. And there are a lot of times we put things in the unimportant category that we may end up missing God on. That I could say amen right there and send you home and go look through your junk email folder of your life to consider those things that you have thought have been unimportant that may be a top priority to God. That was a little bonus sermon. Let that convict whoever it needs to, including myself. 2013, God invited Lissa and I and our family to put our yes on the table to running 1,500 miles across the country of Mongolia to raise money for orphaned and vulnerable children living in the capital city there. And some of you probably know this story really well. For others, this may be brand new. Um, in 2013, my family and I, were, we were living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, I was uh, just finished school down there. And I was, uh, I was, in ministry, I was working at a church as a, as a children's pastor, and uh, I was, uh, when God put this idea on my heart, it was kind of out of the blue, because it's not like I was doing a lot of running, despite what you may think of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I mean, it's not really like a sports mecca. I mean, it, you know, it's like, you know, Jackson, Moab, Tulsa, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't kind of, it doesn't really like make the list as far as like sports. Now it makes the list on other great things like the lacks are from Tulsa, right? Like that, that's, that's great. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a great place for families. I mean, it's a great place for allergies and humidity and Dr. Pepper and, you know, but we got the lacks out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so it's all worth it. It's all worth it. If you don't know the lacks, you got to get to know the lacks. 
And, and, and when God called me, I, I was not doing hardly any running at the time, and I had never really run much my, my whole life. The most that I had ever run would say maybe like, I had run a little bit more than a marathon once, and I was so sore after that marathon, I could hardly walk for two weeks. I'm talking like, like Dwayne, you probably know this, you have to go down the stairs backwards and you're like, why is, the, why is the toilet like so far down there? You're like, I need rails and I need a winch system to like, oh, has anybody ever been that sore? Come on, I need you to be honest with me. Okay, good, you know, you know, you know. And now here God was inviting my family to put our yes on the table to running 1,500 miles, which is, which is about the equivalent of running 30 miles a day every day for over 50 running days. Well, well, why? And he said, I just need you to put your yes on the table. And I want to show you, I, I told you I want to give you three examples. I want to show you three different places to help show you a pattern that's in the Bible so that you might be able to better recognize it in your own life. So first, let's go to the word, and then we're going to look at our own life. The first place that I want you to turn is Genesis chapter 12. Turn over to Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at, at, at three different people who God invited them to put their yes on the table to agree to what God is inviting them into. Genesis chapter 12, and I want to start reading in, in verse 1. We're talking about a guy named Abram who later became Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. A couple of things that you need to notice about these few verses here. God just appeared to Abraham and said, Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. God didn't even give Abraham a destination. I want you to pack your bags, go to the airport, and get on this plane. Where are we going? Well, what are we going to do when we get there? He just says, will you take the ticket? There's so much that happens between God saying, leave your native country and your relatives, between verse 1 and then verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. Sometimes I wish that, that I could just press pause and I could like, I don't know, zip up to heaven or, or, or you know, talk to the, the, the writer of Genesis or talk to Abram himself and be like, okay, dude, you got to help me out. Because when I read this story, there's just like a few sentences between the invitation and then Abram packed his bag and got up. But dude, what was going on in your mind? What were you thinking? What, what all did you go through between, read between the lines on this story? That's where, that's where you fit. 
You fit in between the lines of this story. It's really easy to stay outside of the story and just read it as something interesting, maybe inspiring, motivational, but it's a whole nother thing when you step into the story. And where do you step into the story? You step into the story by getting in between the lines. Your story is found in between the lines of this story. God invited Abram. And then it says that Abram packed up and went with him. Abram had no idea where they were going. Abram had no idea how long it would take to get there. Think of all of the unknowns and what ifs. I think that's probably one of the biggest dangers or, 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 or roadblocks to people living a dangerous life. I mean, it sounds great to, to live a dangerous life, to live a life that's a life of faith and taking risk in God and stepping out in faith and boldness. But I feel like so many times the what ifs act like roadblocks or speed bumps saying, don't do it, slow down, don't take a risk. What if? What if I don't hear from God and I just wander aimlessly the rest of my life? What if I accidentally go to the wrong place? What if I can't find a job when I get there? What if, what if, what if, what if the people don't like me? What if I don't make friends? What if I can't find a place to live? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? These what ifs act like, 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 like tar pits that you just get stuck in. Or you're so fearful to even take one step because you don't want to get stuck in a what if tar pit that you end up getting paralyzed, not going anywhere. Think of all the what ifs that went through Abram's mind. And what did he do? Verse four. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. I want to show you another guy. First Samuel chapter nine. First Samuel chapter nine. And I, I didn't write it down in my notes because the, the, this story is so good. I just want to read, I want to read a, a good portion of this to you. Okay, so there's this guy, uh, his name is Kish, and he has a son named Saul, all right? And the story picks up in verse three of 1 Samuel chapter nine. One day, Kish's donkeys strayed away, and he told Saul, this is his son, take a servant with you and go and look for the donkeys. So Saul took one of his servants and traveled throughout the hill country of Ephraim, the land of Shishah, the Shishalem area, and the entire land of Benjamin. But they couldn't find the donkeys anywhere. Finally, they entered the region of Zuth, and Saul said to his servant, let's go home. By now, my father will be more worried about us than about the donkeys. Let me just paraphrase and tell you what happened. His servant says, hey, there is a, a, a seer or a man of God or a prophet that lives in the area. If you have a question, like nothing's hidden from God, God's gonna know where these like stray donkeys are. Let's just go ask the man of God and he'll tell us. So Saul says, all right. So they go and they go into this town to, to, to seek the man of God and, and find out where these donkeys are. And it says, uh, verse 10, all right, Saul agreed, let's try it. So they started to the town where the man of God lived. As they were climbing the hill to town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. So Saul and his servant asked, is the seer here today? Now, how about that for a pickup line? Hey, uh, you guys know any like good, good, good churches? Just really want to get plugged. Okay, that was a joke. I just, 
He saw some young women coming out. I'm not going to take another run at it if you don't see the humor in that. Thank you. Verse 12. Yes, they replied. Stay right on this road. And he said, you know, they're not asking for the bar. Like, hey, where's the casino? Okay. Man, I am so much funnier in my own mind tonight than it's you. Lord, break it off them. Break it off. All right. Let's try it. So verse 12, they replied, uh, stay straight on this road. He's at the town gates. He's just arrived to take part in a public sacrifice at the place of worship. Hurry and catch him before he goes there to eat. The guests won't even begin eating until he arrives to bless the food. So they entered the town as they passed through the gate. Samuel's coming towards them to go up to the place of worship. That's the man of God, the prophet. Here he comes. Now the Lord told Samuel the previous day, about this time tomorrow, I will send a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. The guy that's wandering out in the desert chasing donkeys? Think about this for just a moment. What is it that, what circumstance do you find yourself in tonight where it may seem, it may appear like you're doing nothing, going nowhere, I'm just spinning my wheels, it's like I'm out in the desert just chasing donkeys. Little did you know that God has got an amazing plan for your life and you're about to walk smack dab into it. Don't give up. Don't go home. Do not despise these small beginnings. Right then, he walks right into Samuel. And he says, can you please tell me where the seer's house is? Verse 19, I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up to the place of worship ahead of me. We'll eat there together. And in the morning, I'll tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. In some translations, it says, I will tell you all that's in your heart. God knows God knows the dreams that are in your heart. God knows the potential that's in your heart way even more than you do. I, read, I ran one silly trail marathon and I was like, oh, never again. I didn't know God saw what was in my heart. 57 consecutive marathons were in this heart and in this legs. I had no idea. But he knew, he knew all along. Verse 20, don't worry about the donkeys that were lost three days ago, for they've been found, and I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. Then what's he do? Saul's trying to throw smoke. But I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. My family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking to me like this? Here come the what ifs. The march of the what ifs. Then Samuel brought Saul and his servants into the hall, placed them at the head of the table, honoring them above the 30 special guests. Samuel then instructed the cook to bring Saul the finest cut of meat, the piece that had been set aside for the guest of honor. So the cook brought in the meat and placed it before Saul. Go ahead and eat it. I was saving it for you even before I invited these others. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. God has got plans God has got a destiny. God has got a Mongolia for you that he planned out long before you ever even considered putting your yes on the table. 
Let me keep reading because the story is so good. When they came down from the place of worship and returned to town, Samuel took Saul up to the roof of the house and prepared a bed for him there. At daybreak the next morning, Samuel called to Saul, get up, it's time you're on your way. So Saul got ready. He and Samuel left the house together. When they reached the edge of town, Samuel told Saul to send his servant on ahead. After the servant was gone, Samuel said, stay here for I've received a special message for you from God. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil, poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. Here's the invitation. What's Saul gonna do? He was anointed. He was, he was called. Please don't ever think, please don't ever think that, that, that this, this, the people on this platform are the only people that ever get like a special calling or a purpose or, or, or destiny. That is, that's, that's silliness and you've been going to the wrong church for too long if you think that only the people up here have it and you, and you don't. What did Saul say? Saul was like the guy. Like, I come from the smallest tribe in, in all of Israel. And God, he's like, it's all right. I try to tell God, God, you saw me when I did that one thing. Like, I'm not, I'm not a runner, let alone all that you're calling me to do. And he said, I'm just looking for you to put your yes on the table. As the story unfolds with Saul, we see that Saul puts his yes on the table and becomes Israel's first king. One last story that I, that I want to share with you. It's in Luke chapter 1, so turn over to Luke. And this is one of, my, one of my favorite stories of putting your yes on the table. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in, in verse 26. Now we're in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'll read uh, a few verses here. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Could you, can you already see? How many times in life are we so quick to point out the tar pits? Like, okay, maybe I could see something potentially great that, that the Lord would want to do in and through my life. But our focus tends to always fall on the tar pits, the, the what if tar pits that try to catch us, that try to snare us. And here's Mary again, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. And then he just says, hey, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He will be very great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but, 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 but how can this be? I'm a virgin. Man, it, I, I didn't even have this in my notes, but I'm just seeing, like, like, it's jumping off the page to me here. 
all of the what ifs that we as people have to dance around and avoid. And I'm not saying that you are less of a person or that you're somehow weak or, or lame or, or dumb for looking at the, the what if tar pits because none of us want to fall into them. But I just hear the Lord whispering to my heart tonight that two things. There's always a path through the what if tar pits. There is always a path. And if you put your yes on the table to his plan and purpose for your life, he will never lead you into a tar pit. And he's telling me one more thing, even just right now in my heart. There ain't no tar pit that you can find yourself stuck in that he is not more than willing and able to rescue you out of. Is that good news to anybody? How can this happen? I'm a virgin. Verse 35, then the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her own age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. Everybody say nothing Nothing. is impossible with God. Mm, Somebody needs to believe that. Look at verse 38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Can you see the invitation for her to put her yes on the table? Can you see Mary's yes? I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me as you have said. Her yes goes on the table. There are so many details that were left out of the whole story. Think of a mother's journey, a mother's journey of raising Jesus and seeing him come into his fullness and the things that were said about him, the things that, the amazing things that he did, the incredible things that were said about him, but also the slander and the mistruths and the half-truths and the confusion around him. That's your baby, that's your son. And these things are swirling all around him and then, and then to outlive your son, for only about three days. (laughs) There was a lot of details that God didn't put in that invitation. Putting your yes on the table is your first step to becoming dangerous. So many Christians get hung up before, before they even begin I started, uh, in 2013, I, I started a, a nonprofit called Strong to the Finish. And people ask me all the time, well, where did that, where did that come from? And it was a, it was a phrase that uh, way back in my early adventuring days in, in Colorado, in the mountains that I would tell myself, I'd see the people that would start out at the trailhead, you know, and they got like, their little like hiking shorts and their sticks and, you know, because that's how you start. You're like, Yeah. We're going to rock this. And everybody that comes back from the trailhead is like, oh, God, kill me. At least that's how I feel when I come off the grand, right? And, and anybody can start the race. Anybody can start the race. You can pay the money, 
put, the, put your bib on, gun goes off. Anybody can start the race. Every single one of you could, could sign up for the Leadville 100. Well, you kind of got to apply to get, all right, that's a bad excuse. Nobody else knows that. How, San Diego Marathon, I don't know. I'm going to get off in the weeds real quick. Anybody can put the bib on, line up at the starting line. When the gun goes off, you take 10, 20, 30 steps. You know, you can go a, a mile or two. But it's how you finish the race that counts. And so when I was a young man in the mountains, that was a motivational phrase I would tell myself because uh, the habit seems, the, the pattern seems to be uh, repeating itself after decades and decades of being in the mountains. But I often bite off more than I can chew. I often get in over my head. I'm overdue. I'm underfed. I'm, I'm underprepared. And, and, and I just, you know, am happy to cheat death and live to tell the tale one more time. But I would always tell myself on the death march out, it's how you finish that counts, Brian. It's how you finish that counts. Come on, Brian. Strong to the finish. Strong to the finish. I don't care if you have to drag yourself back to that trailhead. I don't care if you have to like scratch your way across the finish line. It's how you finish that counts. So many people look around you. So many people are willing to start the race. Yeah, that's a great idea. But it's your faithfulness. It's your endurance through God's help. And through God's inspiration, that will get you across the finish line. And, and it's, a, it's a motto that I have been telling myself in the mountains and in CrossFit wads for a long time. Strong to the finish, Brian. Strong to the finish. People get hung up right at the beginning. I would say for two reasons. The first reason is this. They despise Remember that verse that we started with? They despise the offer that's on the table. God will invite a person into something, big or small or whatever, whatever it is, and they'll despise it. Oh, that's not the Lord. Or, oh, I'm waiting for a bigger opportunity. Or, oh, I'm waiting for a smaller opportunity. The Bible says, do not despise. The other reason is this, and I think a lot of people will resonate with this. They want all of the details of the contract right up front. So let me do, let's do, um, I, I, let, me, let me just show you something. Susan, you're on the front row. You're some low-hanging fruit tonight. C come on up here. So I talk about this, I, I talk about this in the book. Now you stand right there. Okay, but face me. Okay, there we go. I talk about this in the, in the book. You can get the book out there. Um, or you can order it on Amazon or whatever. I feel like the Lord sat me down at a little, at a little coffee table, and he presented a, a contract to me. And he slid this contract across to me. And on the, on the, on the top page, it said, across Mongolia in 2013 to raise money and awareness for orphan and vulnerable children in the capital city. But it was a big old stack, you know, like a really thick legal contract. If you ever like, you know, nobody ever reads like the terms and conditions of like their iTunes. They're just like, yeah, click, right? And on the top was, was the signature page. 
So he slid that across to me and underneath it were all of the terms, conditions and all of the other things that would unfold as a result of me signing on the dotted line and putting my yes on the table. Now, if you were Susan and that contract was slid over to you, what's the first thing that you would want to do? Right? How many of you would want to like, all right, let's flip through and look at every single page. Right? That's all of us. Because Underneath, underneath this, this top page is the, the hardships that we will go through, is all of the hardships that Abram went through, the disappointment, the, the, the heartbreak, the, the turmoil, the grief, the loneliness, the sorrow. Also within the terms of that are what it's gonna cost, um, uh, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, the costs are in there. Um, there's also a ton of benefits in there. But this is, this is, and I talk about this in the book. God slid it across, and it really took me about two years to come to this point. The first year, I was like, maybe it's just some sort of midlife crisis. And I tried to like, uh, can I just get like, maybe like a tattoo or like a motorcycle or something? I don't know. Uh, but I couldn't shake it. Every time I'd press it down, it would just come bubbling up. After the first year of not being able to shake this, I, I decided to do the really spiritual thing and like pray about it. I mean, it's gotten so bad that I need to like pray about it. And after another year of, of praying about it, Lord, are you really calling me to run across a country that I've never even been to and bring my family as a support crew? He would just go like this. Shh. Yeah, but Lord, what if I don't make it? Shh. Lord, how in the world are we gonna do this? Shh. And my tendency was to do what you just did. And every time I wanted to just peek, he would just, in a really good, gentle, God way, he would just go, ah. You ever had the Lord do that to you? I mean, it is like being rebuked by the Lord is the most loving and scary thing. And every time, I said, I just want to peek, try to take a peek. He would say, do you trust me? And then I'd throw up some some what ifs and I'd try to take another peek. Do you trust me? That's That's what God invites us to. This is how he rolls. Here on earth, with human contracts, we have all of the terms and conditions. And where is the signature page? Is it on top or is it buried on the bottom? It's at the bottom. After you read all of the terms and conditions, after you read every legal clause, after you read this and all of the fine legal, all that I'm expected to get into, only then do you get to the signature page and you can decide whether or not you want to put your yes on the table. The pattern that I wanted to show you in scripture that also plays out in your life is the pattern that God always puts the signature page on top of the contract. The signature page is always on top. Maybe on rare, rare occasions, he might let you look through. 
he might give you a hint or a taste or a glimpse of, of some of this that's under here. But for the most part, for, for all of us, the signature page just rests on top and he waits patiently for us to either sign it or to say, I just can't, and to hand it back. Now, thank you. If, if, uh, if me telling you a little bit about Mongolia is, is, is one thing, if I show you some pictures or, or video about Mongolia, it, it, may, it may bring the story, a little more vibrancy to, to our story. Um, there was a film crew that, that came with us and uh, uh, in the same way that we believed God to, to come through and write this book for us, uh, in the same way we're believing that God's gonna come through someday with the funding for this documentary. But I wanna give you, um, I wanna show you the trailer uh, of this documentary to give you a glimpse into what this expedition was like for our family. This is what we came for. Run across Mongolia. what he was getting himself into. You wanna run with me this afternoon? I'm only gonna go 15 miles. I can't imagine bringing my kids on this two plus months. At some point, I would be like, what have I done to my family? <laughs> 30 miles every day for 50 running days. We won't go home until 1,500 miles are accomplished. I was diagnosed with polio as a young boy. I can remember thinking, I refuse to let this define me. dad left when I was two years old. Nobody should ever be abandoned. I think that people are the most important commodities on this planet. When I opened my eyes, I saw the need that orphaned and vulnerable children have, and I wanted to do something to help. Running across Mongolia is how I chose to do that. who tries this is going to have his share of some hardship. You 
you are in the middle of nowhere if something were to happen. I stepped down from my job to follow after what I feel like is a higher calling. It has cost my family a lot just to get this far. We're just not on the same page on what the goal is. I cannot do more miles. It's going to be hell on you and the kids. I'm pretty sure he has the first stages of hypothermia. I just don't know how I can keep going. This trip is over. I remember Brian saying, no, it's not. Discipline is a good muscle to have in life. A lot of people give up when it gets hard. If my dad doesn't touch the wood, I'll still be proud of him. Brian's running will give Mongolian youth hope for the future. The moment life gets off the plan, that's when adventure starts. to becoming a dangerous person. 